0: Welcome to our podcast, A Quest to Engage and Unpack Our African Experiences, a celebration of our identities, our successes, a fearless voyage into ourselves, Zazi. Welcome. Hey, welcome back, Hi Christine. Hey Patricia. Hey. You are back to episode number 2 of Yay. our podcast Zazi. Welcome back. So, today we are going down which tunnel? I think we're
1: continuing a bit on what we started, our African identity. Okay, cool.
0: So, it is actually Africa Month at the time of this going to air. And so, we thought we should settle into that theme for ourselves on this occasion, the theme of Africa Month. So, African Month is Africa Month, and it is recognized the month of May because on the 25th of May, we commemorate the founding of what today is called the African Union. It was founded 60 years ago in 1963, and at the time, it was known as the Organization of African Unity, and... So that is why this day is commemorated. In fact, it's recognized as a public holiday in some African countries, not in the country we are recording this in South Africa. It's just a like, normal walking day. It's Valentine's Day. One <laughs> in the same WhatsApp group.
1: Yeah, in Congo as well, it's not a public, it's not an official public holiday.
0: It's a holiday in Zambia, if I'm not mistaken. Interesting. But then the question becomes, what does the African Union do On this day, valid question. What could they do better? Okay, let's ask what we perceive them to do. What do you think the African Union does? For me, I think that
1: the African Union, I feel like they wanted to replicate the UN. African organizations that come together and they try to regulate things between
0: themselves. That's how I see it. I mean, that could be what they do. In fact, I know very little about the African Union and I wonder if they care to engage us about what they do um, I wonder if they are for the people or are they just for the powers because those are two different mm. groups of powers that be the powers and the people and I'm the people
1: uh, <laughs> so I wonder if they're there for me. You know it's very interesting because now we're sitting here thinking about um the African Union and yeah l- like you said it feels like we don't really know who they are what they do, like you said, are they for the people? And yeah, just like you, I don't feel like, like they are. I really feel like there is this, uh, very floating organizations that, oh, honestly, I don't really do that. I don't really know what they do, what they stand for. We always hear, see them having their meetings, uh, their general assembly. But then you're like, then what? What do they, do they really do?
0: Yeah, that's a question for another day. But I know that they should be involved in the conflict that's going down in Sudan. Um, Just to let you know, my prayers are out for that country and yes. the conflict they are faced with and the fight for leadership. Sadly, that is their reality and we are aware of it. I think that's another thing is African news to African listeners. I don't think many of us know what's happening in other parts of the country too well. That's very true. Uh, you know, last time I was just like um, on
1: Instagram and I saw, I think it was some people from Kenya and they were asking some people like, as Africans, do we really know each other? It's so easy to, yes, we know about, I don't know, f- like f- coming from my experience, I know more about Belgium, France, whatever. Then I know about... People in, like you say, in in Uganda, in Kenya, in, yeah, our neighbors, sometimes we don't know as much as we're supposed to know. We don't even, now this is something very interesting. The African Union, I think they don't even have as the official languages. Do they even have like African language? That is a fascinating question. I think they use mostly French. English? Uh, I think French, English, and maybe Portuguese are the official languages. Now you're thinking, why not Swahili? Why
0: not Zulu? You see? Hey, we're going to get shut down for going there. <laughs> no, actually, you're very right. It's terribly fascinating to me. Yes, so it? I'm
1: thinking just come coming back to languages. They could promote uh, the learning and the teaching of languages in schools for instance why not having okay i'm talking a lot about swahili because <laughs> i speak swahili um, why not promoting the
0: teaching of swahili in our schools well speaking of swahili in schools so in south africa there was room made to teach swahili in south african schools and i made a comment about this on social media where i was expressing that perhaps seeing as South Africa is in Southern Africa, we might be better served learning a language like Shona so yes. we can engage with our closest neighbors because Swahili-speaking nations are a little further north of mm. us. Um And I was shot down. Oh, my God. What were people saying? They were like, oh, you are so anti-Pan-African. You are not here for the people. You don't understand the big picture. And I was like, yo, I get the big picture, but I just think we must take small bite sizes to fill the gap between us and Mozambique, us and Zambia, us and Zimbabwe before we are trying to become friends with Tanzania or mm. who, who have you. But anyway, the world took much issue with my suggesting Shona.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> you know what? I, I think you have a valid point. Like I said, I, I'm mentioning Swahili because I come from a Swahili speaking region. And you're right. Swahili is speaking mostly into Eastern, uh, Eastern part of Africa and going a bit into central, central, like your, Eastern part of DRC, et cetera. But you're right. Maybe we, we need to come back with regional languages. For instance, in the, um, uh, West Africa, what are the, um, what could be like their main languages where someone from maybe, uh, Senegal and Mali and Guinea, where they can understand each other? Is it Wolof? Is it Pearl? Is it, I don't know. I don't really even know what, um, language they have there. And the same, like you said, maybe, eastern and central um Africa could be Swahili could be maybe Lingala I don't know and like you said in the western um southern region we can have Shona we can have maybe Zulu some other some other languages that could be like widely used from from a
0: large group of people so can I call us out now, in this moment, because we are sitting here having this conversation in English. Exactly. You see,
1: (laughs) how amazing would that be if we could have this conversation in Swahili, in Zulu, in Shona? No, I think, no, no, we really need to make an effort. I really want, um, for the next generation, like my son's generation, who is 10, I really hope that in his time. When maybe he's going to university, when he travels to a country, maybe can engage with some other people in some of the main regional or Pan-African languages. Yeah, we really need to put this out there. So if people work on schools, curriculums, people from the African Union, maybe some of them are listening. Let's do something. <laughs>
0: But you know, this is a, one of those conversations we have actually had in the office where we were speaking about wanting to learn African languages and the complexities that come with that experience. So in South Africa, what tends to happen or what has happened from, for a while now, um, because of our racial past, our African parents wanted the best for their children. And so they pretty much encouraged the speaking of English or even Afrikaans. So that their children could compete with their white minorities who were in power. And so what tended to happen is that many of us grew up not necessarily having the full skill or scope of our own indigenous languages. And we can speak fluent English. Hey now. Um, but I can't speak fluent Siswati. I can't speak fluent Sona, which is my mother tongue. I can't speak, you know, and as a result of that, What's also tend to happen is that the kids who can speak, they will mock you or make fun of you with your English accent trying to speak isn't or is it or, or, or however it would be said correctly. Um, you know, so then it becomes this thing where it's like it's a shameful that you can't speak in your language and those are the only people you're gonna be speaking it to at a family function or at what have you. So where do we go as grown up Africans to learn our languages?
1: I mean, this is such a very interesting point, and you're talking about the South African experience, but let me tell you it's the same even in Congo, and I'm sure a lot of african different African nationality can relate, so, like I told you, I grew up in Congo, and even for me, Swahili, it's like sort of a regional languages. My tribal languages, my language. Sorry, my tribal language normally should be Kiluba. I'm from the Luba tribe, which is um, one of the main, biggest uh, tribal group in uh, in the DRC. So, the language should be Kiluba. What happened is at home, uh, my grandmother was um, living with us at home. She used to talk to us into that language, but uh, our parents never really reinforced the thing as we need to learn, we need to answer. So I can understand, although now it's um, it's even some words, I'm even losing some words, so I could understand my grandma speak to me. But, but I never been forced or my parents never really did the things like, oh, you need to speak to her only, only in that language, uh, you need to learn. So the language is there passively somewhere in my mind, but I can't really speak, I can't really, uh, speak it. So we, it's a huge issue because, uh, when I, I, I often, I mean, at least once a year, I try to, to go back to Congo for holidays. Another thing that has, um, really shocked me is like, uh, my The generation of my nieces, my nephews uh, a lot of um French kids they don 't speak even Swahili, so now you're growing into you 're growing in Congo in your country, but yet they speak only French. They go to school where they learn English as a second language they, they learn Spanish they learn Portuguese, but they can 't speak Swahili, which is the um, v- vernacular is that what you mm, that we yes. say vernacular language of our region. Let alone now talking about your Kiluba, your Kibemba, your whatever, all these uh, all these um, tribal uh, languages. And for me, this time around, I went back last year and I was very surprised, frustrated, saddened because I was like, I'm really seeing from my parents' generation to my nephews, my sons' generation, I'm really seeing languages disappear. And I've seen somewhere, um uh, I've seen an article of how per year, a lot of African languages just like that disappear. They're wiped out because you've got grandparents, you've got, you know, with all this urbanization and people moving to cities and people having less connections with where they come from, languages are disappearing. Or oh, when a language disappears, it's cultures, it's stories, is. Uh, myth, mythologies, religion people don't understand that it. it's a big part of a knowledge that's also syncing with when a language
0: disappear. so yeah So the colonizers are still winning it's, Yeah, they're still winning Okay, so we were going on with the realization that the colonizers are still winning where our languages are concerned and I think I need to make a commitment, possibly now that you must know that I can speak like B grade Zulu. <laughs> okay. Maybe not even B grade C grade Zulu, B grade Swana. Uh, and yeah, that's, and is is just like a, a, a whisper Yay. of a notion. And I've really been aspiring to want to be able to say I can speak fluent Isiswati. And so it's, so in growing up, I was indoctrinated that this was my identity and I cherished it because I was a South African Swati, right? So we we're like a super minority in this country and that made me special. Okay. And so I looked into our history and you know, like I, I know who we are, but I can't speak who we are. But on the flip side, I'm also the very same person who recognizes and acknowledges that both my grandparents my grandmothers, more specifically, are Zulu women, right? Which is to say that of the four parts of me, so I'm made up of two parents and those two parents have parents, a set of parents each. Mm-hmm. Half my grandparents are Zulu. Wow. But yet I identify as Swati. And that is only one quarter of like the biological makeup of who I am. So my dad's parents, he had a Zulu mother and a Swati father, and my mom had a Tswana father and a Zulu mother. So why am I not Zulu, if the majority of me Th- that's, is Zulu?
1: That's so interesting. Yeah, I think um when you talk about being a, a Swati, I just realized that I would love to learn more about um the makeup of, uh, yes, South African different identities group. So I really think that we should maybe call maybe a specialist or we should engage at least with someone who really knows more about that, and maybe sort of facilitate this
0: discussion. What do you think? I think yes, it's a fascinating story. Um, I'm here for it. Yes, we will make that happen.
1: Yeah, let's plan that one. So definitely, I would love to hear more about that. And also, let me take a commitment. I've been living in South Africa for quite a while now. I can understand um, some. A lot of words are connected. Um, I, I recognize them from Swahili and from the Kiluba that's existing you know in my mind and yes i've committed myself to like i really want to learn at least maybe zulu i need to be fluent in one of the languages because also being in this um problem around identities like when you go to south africa that you know that oh you need to learn english to yeah to to find your way in south africa but the emphasis is not put on learning uh, as an african learning what one of the African languages. So definitely, yes, I'm committing to, I I hope next year I'll be able to be more fluent in Zulu or another one of the languages.
0: I will hold you to that. As you were talking, I'm recollecting a reel I came across on Instagram where a gentleman was being interviewed about something to do with Africa. And his answer was that Ghana was this new hub of culture in Africa. And it's, you know, the center of African culture. And the interviewer asked them, I'm surprised to hear you say Ghana. Why not South Africa? Exactly. And he was like, that's not Africa. That's white Africa. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that was that's like, so interesting. He's right. So, um, it was just fascinating to hear that, you know, even in places like South Africa where we are probably one of the more visible of the African countries. Mm-hmm. Um, we are probably also the least African, whatever that might mean. You know, it's
1: so interesting that you mentioned that because for me, growing up in Congo and coming here, I think that South African, South Africans are very, uh, they have, they do have a very strong identity. Remember I told you when they celebrate Heritage Day in school? And always I'm like, oh my God, what? Because kids, um, so they've got Heritage day. Wh- Which day is it again?
0: It's the 24th of September.
1: Yes, so on the 24th of September, if you're not from South Africa. So usually in South African schools, it's um, Heritage Day. And then they will ask kids to come dress up with something that represents the heritage. And then I was sitting there and chatting with a cousin thinking, what am I going to dress my son with? Because in Congo... Yes, we'll be, we proud of being Congolese, what, what, but we just dress your normal, your jeans, your whatever. And also something very interesting in Congo, sorry, I used to think that uh we used to think our moms wear the wax fabric. I thought, growing up, I thought it was very, it was actually our culture, it was Congolese. Then I learned that actually it was brought by the Dutch, Um the colonizer brought these Dutch fabrics and they. Put uh, they give it to to yeah to the people they they, they found and it becomes a substitute of their own fabrics. fabrics. Like in Africa, you will have your kente fabric. In Congo, you have a kuba fabric. So we do have our own fabrics. Uh, Raffia also. I don't know if it's in English, but we do have our own fabrics. But now everybody thinks that wax is the is sort of the symbol of Congolese uh, of African identity. identity. Which is not. And this remind me, there's, um, there's, um, French from the Caribbean broad, broadcaster. His name is Claudicia. Shout out to Claudicia because I've met him in real life. <laughs> and he's, he's a, he's a very, um, he's an activist. He's a Pan-Africanist. He's so, yes, he's a very staunch Pan-Africanist. And he, he, he has coined the word the waxization of culture, meaning that they sold to us this, uh, idea that People are so proud to wear wax when it's fashion week. Um, a lot of Africans, uh, designers, they use all this wax, whatever, but which in fact is not really
0: African. So we're out there adorning ourselves in a fake sort of sold African identity. And that's just not healthy. Ex- exa- so, okay, th- there's a way to see it. For me,
1: sometimes I've, um, I take, uh, I take pride of saying, okay, it's not us, but we have somehow built into our culture. I like the creativity. I like the, I like, I like what we have done around it, but we need to know and people need to acknowledge that it's really not, you know, people need to research more. There's, there's a huge, um, I think there's a designer from Cameroon. His name is Thomas, uh, Thomas Ayisi, or I need to, yes, I think it's Thomas Ayisi or something. His uh, his work revolves around using indigenous fabrics and making things out of it. And for me, I think this is where we need to go. People need to go and find whatever in our culture, what was the fabrics that was there? And yeah, make something with it.
0: You know, now that you have spoken, I, sort of take back the sentiment that south africa is the least african of the african countries but i also sort of don't but i mean it's out there but what i'm trying to get at is that i value your point exactly in that we as south african indigenous cultures Mm. we have access exactly that information
1: yes you can still see the access so come coming back to heritage day it's always so beautiful when you see people uh young girls having their uh, Zulu, young Zulu outfit, and you will see the, some ju- just different things, you know? This, uh, particular group wear this, I don't know, help me which one wear <laughs> what. But then, um, and sometimes I'm, I'm a bit sad because I'm like, wow, in Congo, I don't have that, you know? And I've tried even to ask my dad, like, yeah, but what people used to, you know, it could not even really, um yeah it could it couldn't really help me, and I know what is most visible now it's like when you see um traditional dancers you'll see sort of of uh oh, they were this they were that, but yeah, sometimes I'm like yeah what in I just want to know more about our daily fabrics and wh- and 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 of course because they've got meanings, you know some fabrics got meanings around royalty around womenhood or what so maybe we need to do a bit more research into this. I was just about
0: to say anybody i know there are researchers out there whose like focus is this sort of content please Reach out to us. Yes, we
1: want to know exactly. Send us some links, some references, uh, which fabrics they use in in your country. I've I've been to Ghana with our um, for for work. I know in Ghana they've got the kente fabric. We need to find out. Yes, I think it's um, associated
0: with royalty, right? Correct. So yeah, even in uh, countries like Burkina Faso, I know when Thomas Sankara was the headman of that state, he instituted policies that the where of his cabinet had to be made in local fabrics. Um, you know, so we, we want to know there's a library out there of the fabrics we used organically. I saw a documentary the other day about fabric that was made from tree bark in a part of Western Africa. I'm not clear at the moment where. Um, no, let me not guess. <laughs> but um, so there, there's an archive of our own fabrics, of our own fashions that are truly our own. And it would be so delightful to hear from people who are in the actual know about what you know about this.
1: Exactly, and I know there's a map going uh, making the round on instagram where they uh, it 's an Africa map, and they show countries they will put the she fabric they will put i 've seen that map I think i 'm going to go back to it, and maybe it could be also the starting point of our research, but definitely, if you know more about African fabrics, their meaning, if you can sort of give us a map of different fabric the meaning absolute absolutely you please reach out to us we'll maybe have to schedule or to plan a deeper chat around this.
0: Yes, I am here for that. And also, if you happen to be a language teacher, I'm keen to learn Isiswadi. I'm in... Howte. Zulu. Oh <laughs> uh, Yes, yeah, so Patricia wants Zulu. I would like to be fluent in Isiswati. Um, Reach out to us so that we can honor our commitments.
1: Yes, definitely. When you were mentioning, um, talking about Sankara um, and what all the things he was doing for the um, Burkina Faso uh, identity it remind me about um our own pr- uh, president that we had for many years uh, mobutu i'm sure a lot of n- people know about him he's always um branded as one of the worst uh, di- uh, dictator um so yeah so from when i w- from my birth to i don't know i grew up i spent a lot of time under Mobutu regime, because he was a president for some 30 something years. <laughs> and when you were talking about Sankara, it reminded me that sometimes, he, um, at some point, he wanted to um, move away from the Western identity. So, I, and I think this is why the wax is very popular also in Congo. It was like, no, people are not allowed to wear Western clothing anymore. So people could not wear jeans and women could not wear, yeah, your, your, your paint, your jean, whatever, whatever what was branded as European clothing. Uh, so women were, they were wearing mostly, um, outfits made out of wax, you know, and which is a bit funny because when I come back to what I'm saying, wax, wax was not even, um, African, but still this is why uh, growing up, my mom's generation. I've got images of seeing all these African women wearing all these beautiful wax outfit. This is maybe why I'm a bit attached to it, because growing up, I thought it was our identity. And, uh, if you go to Congo, like women are very creative around that. you uh, we, we used to call it kikwembe. And I believe in Zambia, they call it like that. So they will, um, they will have a top, which is very beautiful. Uh, we call it, uh, mabaya. And then you will have, um, two fabrics that you will wrap around your waist you'll put, uh, yeah, so you wrap uh, wrap around like two fabrics. I don't know if people can really see it, but maybe I will, on our social I will have to put the images. But this is what um, women was wearing for when I was growing up. But of course, it was like very beautiful, colorful, whatever. So that's the thing. Uh, kikwembe. Um, in Lingala, they call it Liputa. So it's your wrap around around the waist. Uh, usually two different fabrics. One that you hold very tight. Obviously, you don't want it to fall. And then a uh, uh, one on top which is a bit shorter and mabaya so when you go this is why the tailoring industry is so big in in congo artisanship people they really like will will go to some tailor shops and then they will be like oh i'm choosing this uh, design i'm choosing this design and they will do skirts uh kikwembe or dresses whatever out of mabaya and the men, so my dad generation, they were wearing what we call it a uh, abacost. In French, it means abalo uh, costume, abalo uh, costume, which is really means um, take take down your your vest or something like that. <laughs> I would need to come with a proper French to English translation. But yeah, it was also fabrics, really designed under uh, Mobutu. Um, it was really your your suit, but they will. They will, um, they will cut the, 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 so the sleeves were shortened. Yes. The sleeves were shortened. We used to call it abacost. So if you look at all these, um, visuals when, um, when Muhammad Ali was in Congo in 1974, you'll see Mobutu and the journalists and the guys, they used to wear this, uh, abacost. That was Mobutu way of saying we are cutting ties with, um, the western West. identities another thing that he put um it was he, he didn't want people to have um european or christians um uh names also so your christine your patricia whatever no it was uh for for forbidden if i might say he called it um what was the name oh my god i will have to uh l- l- yeah coming back to authenticity he called it authenticity and um people um have he wanted people to have only the congolese names so this is why in congo you see we've got um the name and like a, we've, we will have, we will have a couple of surnames because, yes, people were going back to their names. So, yeah, and obviously, Yamobutu yeah, is a very, um, controversial, um, yeah, he was a detector. I mean, we can have an old chat about him, but, um, somehow there's a silver lining as if, um, I feel some of the restriction that he was putting to the people. It was very, um, um, how, how can I say that? It bring, it brought a lot of, um. It was beneficial. It was beneficial in terms of, I, I believe in terms of culture, some aspect of culture, and yeah, even in music. But this will have to have, a all episode around that.
0: <laughs> I was just about to add controversially, I share similar sentiments around apartheid. Oh. So all of these things you speak of South Africans having access to what our, um, culture identity is, you know, the vendor know who they are, the mm. Shona know who they are, the Tosa, the whole works. In part, I acknowledge the value that the apartheid system played oh. in keeping it that way, because part of the totems or whatever, part of the foundations of apartheid was to segregate us, yes, Julie, but the Forwut were of the belief that Stick to your own and embrace your own. Kind mm. of like the thinking behind the Chinese and okay. their socialization and how they interact with the rest of the world. Interesting. Is, you know, go back to yourself and appreciate yourself. Know who you are. I'm putting it politely. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but all I'm saying, uh, battle me if you will, is mm. that the segregatory policies of apartheid served us in South Africa and the access that we have today, that we can celebrate today, that we can show off on the 25th and hopefully every (laughs) other day um, to say that, yes, we are African. Yes, no, I like that because,
1: like I said, even for me, it was difficult to put into words because you've got this... um, Yes, this uh, persona, whatever. Uh, yeah, you've got this personality who I think we've got a lot of disastrous decision coming from him. But yeah, putting that aside in terms of um, the clothing and the culture and the music, I can feel that, yeah, we somehow benefited for that. But hey, I will park this here. I think we can keep it for a very full episode <laughs> around music and yeah Congolese music. And also that episode I mentioned, Muhammad Ali in Congo, it's also very fascinating so i'll park it there and we'll come with more information more facts more research so and you're going to take us to congo i think day. yes i think i'm going to take you into a journey into congo I'm, i will we'll need to invite some people to back me up to help me
0: up because i don't want to speak for the old congo but yeah definitely it's a date I'm here for it, and as we forecast our dates, I reckon we should share with the masses, seeing as it is African Month, some of the African musicians we are listening to, who are a vibe or who have new music out. I thought to actually just start with starting with an artist close to us both, Spa Mthalose Oh yes, she's an artist worth listening to. In fact, her album, which has been released just on the dawn, like before COVID, is called Indlela, and it speaks. I think as a listener, it speaks a little bit like the way or the, re- the, the road to building a foundation in a marriage. For me, it sounds wow. like a great album for a newly wedded couple, but I know when she intended it, it was just in generally the way home, um, the way to yourself in every instance, like Zazie and what we seek to achieve here. So I would reckon, yes, please listen out For Spam Zalo says, seek it out, buy it Support the girl, she is the thing In fact, one of the things I love most about her Is her name, when we were looking for A name for this podcast, on the day That I got to Zazie, I had Just had a conversation with Spa, and her Actual name, her full name is Sipatisane, which means we are holding each other like oh, we are beautiful it's a gesture I can't explain it in words Um so shout out to her in fact we have room for her in our future she is the third member of the Zazi squad exactly so which is why I'm saying please go do the things listen to her music
1: no definitely we're holding space for spa I'll go and also listen to her latest um release and yeah and the story around her name is completely beautiful and I'm sure when um when she joins us I mean it will be fabulous I can't wait for that in talking about artists just to put in connection with what I was saying around Congolese music Congolese music is one of the I mean, Congolese musicians have really contributed to African music in general. So I'm going to plug a Congolese artist for now. I think go listen to Fali Ipupa. Um, follow him on social media. Check what he's doing. So you'll have a sense of African, um, art, uh, Congolese artist sense of fashion. And it will be an uh, introduction to rumba. But I'm going to share
0: with, with you more about this. So yes, Fali Ipupa. Okay, two more. So the next one is an artist in Ghana His name is Wolasi He has just released an album called Therapy I personally haven't listened to this album But I am a follower of his And from what I'm hearing of other people's reviews and the likes This is a fire album In fact, I think this is what I'm going to do with my long weekend
1: yes he's a vibe he was our access right yes he yes was. i mean uh he's an incredible live performer he's a vibe yes go follow him and i think what we'll do uh what do you think christine i think we should open um our own uh, spotify or whatever we need to drop playlists
0: after some yes. i was just about to say there's no or whatever <laughs> about it yes we are gonna have spotify as a platform um through which we'll just communicate with you some of the music that is making it into our lives Yes. And we're going to share it with you to enjoy.
1: Yes. No, definitely.
0: Yeah. So I okay, came okay, the last artist. Sorry. <laughs> I did say two, right? So this, this no, is a ahead. shout out out there in the diaspora. Um, I want to plug Coco Roco. Not that they need my plug, but their album, which is called Could We Be More is masterful from beginning to end. No need to press skip over anything. Like I love albums that are so just united as a product, you know, it's, it's an awesome, awesome album. And I really reckon you should give it your ear space time.
1: So, Christine, I also took note of what you were recommended because I really need to go and listen to them. Um, yeah. So that's what also,
0: I'm also going to do with my long weekend. And yeah. I think that's about it. That's a wrap, guys. Keep your ears out and open and check out when we will be sharing with you again. It will be in the month of June, uh, which is winter on the side. So we've got some cozy topics lined up for you.
1: Yes, chat to you soon. Bye.
0: You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.